This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for July 31st, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. The message is by Father Ron Baird. In this morning's Gospel lesson, the disciples have a problem. They don't have enough. Can you identify with that? They don't have enough. The way that they see the world is that there isn't enough to feed over 5,000 people. We have that same problem today, don't we? We don't have enough money to you know, provide for our security and health and welfare, our kids' college and pay the bills. We don't have um, enough um, of a good relationship. We aren't getting enough uh, affection or love from our spouse. Our kids don't respect us. We don't get enough respect. Our bosses don't treat us decently. We don't get enough respect from them either. I mean, somewhere in everybody's life, there's this whole question of is there abundance or scarcity in the world? We even see it in our government these days, don't we? You know, we, we're arguing over how much to cut, which I always thought was kind of funny in, in some ways, but I, I did uh, some research yesterday to find that if you stacked up $1 bills, the national debt would reach to the moon and back twice. <sighs> That's a long way. Just think we could do away the whole space program with that too. You just walk up. It would be great. And so the argument's about, well, the problem is we don't have enough. Or the problem is we're spending too much and, and everybody argues. And then if we're going to cut, what do we cut? Well, no, that's not enough for that. That's not enough for that. And that's the way the world approaches things because the world believes, and unfortunately we all too often are very worldly, that somehow or other we have to manage to do it. That God created us, but somehow or other he didn't really provide what was really necessary. And so we have to come up with a way to do it. Now, we wouldn't put it that way because that wouldn't be a very nice thing to say to God, would it? But we act that way. And you know, we act that way all the time. Very often we see that when, you know, one of the things I always get tickled, I have a lot of people who will say to me, you know, if I win the lottery, I'll build that new church building for you. Which is almost a guarantee, by the way, that we'll never get the church building. <laughs> That's going to be the basis because <laughs> it doesn't really work that way. And it all comes down to this question, is, is there enough or not? It's a fundamental question we have to ask ourselves. Do we believe that we worship a creator God who gave us enough? Because if we don't, then we act very differently than we do if we do. Well, Jesus had just heard that John the Baptist was beheaded. And it said that he needed some time to himself, which you can imagine was his cousin. And so he decides to go off to a place, where a deserted place where he could be by himself for a while and pray and just grieve and kind of you know, deal with all this stuff that's going on. But the crowds heard that he had gotten into the boat and was going across the Sea of Galilee to the other side of, of the sea. Now, they call it a sea. It's really more like a lake. But, and so they just walked around the northern end. And by the time that Jesus got there, I haven't figured, they must have been walking really fast because <laughs> he took the shortcut. By the time that they, he got there, he got out, and he saw that they, this big crowd had assembled. 
And they came because they had people who were sick and who needed to be healed. They, they wanted someone to help them because they didn't have enough. And so he did. He healed them. And then it got to be late. Now, that's a real problem in those days because when the sun went down, if it wasn't a full moon or something, it was dark. Or you didn't see where you were going. They didn't have street lights or anything. And so the disciples come to him and say, you know, it's getting late. And, and you need to tell these people it's time to break this up. Time to end the camp meeting. You know, I mean, tell them to go back and then go in the villages or they can get something to eat. And then Jesus does the most remarkable thing, which I know all of us really like when he does it. He said, well, you feed them. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Is there enough? He didn't say, I will give them something, or I'm going to rain down manna from heaven again, or you know, I'm going to make something magically appear in front of them. He said, you give them something. Now, you got to picture this, really. you got Peter, James, John, Andrew, the whole bunch. Kinder are going, well, all we have are four loaves and two fish. And in all honesty, that's probably not even very much to eat for all of them, much less over 5,000 people. And so, you know, how are we supposed to do that? And then Jesus says, bring it to me. Now, that's the first clue if you want to live a life out of abundance is you've got to realize something about God. God is not someone who you go to to get him to give you what you need. God is someone who comes to you to say, this is what I need to do this. You ever seen those bumper stickers that says, God is my co-pilot? I always thought they ought to move over and let him drive. I trust him more than I trust them. But he isn't going to, you know, be Santa Claus. And so when we say our prayers, dear Lord, you know, please heal Aunt Matilda and help my kid get a good grade on his test and you know, do all that. I mean, he doesn't take, you know, down lists. He didn't take names. He didn't even check them twice to find out who's naughty or nice. He's not Santa Claus. He's God. He's the sovereign Lord, ruler of the universe. I mean, that'd be like, which we'd all probably like to be, I'd you know, call the White House and say, I'd like to speak with the president, please. I need some, some improvements done to our highways around here. You know, I'm going to get through. He'll, he'll do that when I tell him what we need. I mean, it doesn't work that way, does it? Well, if, we, if it doesn't work that way in our government, why in the world would we think that it works that way with God? That you just say, here, do this. He goes, I'll get right on it, sir. I mean, it doesn't happen. No, what he says is, you give me what you have. Now, this is really interesting, too, because all together, five loaves and two fishes, which isn't very much. And so they're thinking, this is impossible. I can't handle it. It's not going to be enough to do anything with. I mean, it wasn't really even enough to feed us. And you can sort of imagine in their own mind, what's he going to do with our fish and our loaves? <laughs> because they kind of know the guy. And you mean you're going to feed 5,000 people with fishes and loaves? Well, how much do you think Peter thinks he's getting for dinner tonight? I mean, nothing. You know, he's going. And so there would be a temptation when they're to sort of, well, really, there were six loaves and, and four fish, but they kind of snuck to them back just in case they could keep them. Isn't that what we do? 
with things. We compartmentalize our money. You know, oh, well, that's not, I don't really have that money. That's in savings. And God's going, really? Isn't that interesting? You don't have it. Well, that's in my 401k. I don't really have it. Really? So you're never going to get it? Oh, well, no, someday. But we do that all the time. We cry poor to a God who gave us everything that we have. And then he did something interesting with it. It says that he took the bread and the fish and he did what to them? He blessed them. Anybody here ever say grace? I asked at 8 o'clock, they had to think about it for a minute. I didn't know if that was a difficult. What are you doing when you say grace? Hmm? But what does that mean to bless the food? We say we acknowledge who it is that made us possible, made it possible for us to have it, don't we? That's what blessing really is, is an acknowledgement of a creator God who is good, who provides for us. So that was the first thing he did. He took it and he blessed it. And then he did something else with it. You know what the next thing he did to it was? He broke it. And that's where we all go, huh? Because the truth is, is that if you want God to multiply your life, if you want God to do those miracles in your life that you would really, you know, like to see that he's promised, the truth of the matter is, is you're going to have to bring what you have and he's going to break it right off the bat. Now, what's interesting, has he told them yet how this is going to work out? Didn't say a word, did he? So you can sort of imagine what that must have been like for them. We've got five loaves and two fishes, and we're going to give it, and he's going to give thanks to God for it, although we're the ones that gave it to him. And, and then, you know, it didn't say he said thank you to them, by the way. And then he's going to break it and give it away, because that's the third thing he does. He's, he broke it, and he gave it. Now, who did he give it to here? This is what's interesting. So he gave it back to them. So far, so good, right? What did he tell them to do? <laughs> Give it away to somebody else, yeah. That's what life is like in the kingdom of God. And all too often, what we do with our life is we compartmentalize it to accept. They'll say, well, God, I will give you this part of my life, or I will give you that part of my life, but I can handle this part over here. You know, I'll keep back two of the lows for myself. You don't need it because just in case. And when we do that, we short circuit the ability of God to multiply our life because we have no trust in him. You know, it's sort of like, I'm from Missouri, show me. Now, you can double dog dare a person. You can't double dog dare God. He just doesn't play. He says, fine, go do what you want to do. You think you can make your life yourself? Make it. You think you can raise yourself from the dead? I'm going to watch. I want to see this one. It's up to us. You see, God doesn't want to save a part of your life. He wants to save all of your life. God isn't satisfied with a piece of it. He wants all of it. Now, I have to admit, it's gotten kind of difficult because too many human beings in the name of the church 
who claim to be speaking for God want people to give the stuff to them because somehow or other they know God better. And, and in all honesty, you shouldn't do that because human beings are fallen and they're corrupt and they're sinful and left to their own devices, they'll do sinful things. I can remember when I, I went to a, a church that was Southern Baptist, but Southern Baptist back in those days in the 70s wasn't conservative enough for them, so they left um, and became independent. And we had a pastor there named Brother Upchurch. I thought that was an interesting name for a pastor, but uh, that really was his name. And he would have twice a year, once a year, he would have Paycheck Sunday. And everybody was supposed to bring their paycheck and sign it over to the church. And then once a year, he would have Jewelry Sunday. And everybody was supposed to come, and whatever jewelry they were wearing, they were supposed to take off and put in a collection plate for the church. Well, needless to say, on Jewelry Sunday, jewelry was pretty scarce. <laughs> there were a bunch of plain-looking people there. And on Paycheck Sunday, the whole church was rather scarce. I mean, it was scary. But he, he would say, I've been anointed by God. Or as he said, God, because he could do it in three syllables. And he has told me to tell you that you need to do this. We see it on TV all the time, too. Now, if you will send in an offering, we will bless this handkerchief and send it to you, and all kinds of wonderful things are going to happen to you. Really, I mean... I got a deal for you. Skip the middleman. Go to factory direct. <laughs> Talk to God. You know, don't listen to the middlemen unless they're telling you to go talk to God. Because you don't need a middleman. But you do need to decide how much of you are you willing to give to God. Because God doesn't do half seas. It's all or nothing with him. And the question is, is, are you in it or not? It's sort of like people who say, well, I'd like to be married. I just want to be tied down. Or I'd like to have kids, but I want them to be, you know, good. Well, it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> I mean, it's a commitment. You're in it or you're not. If you're not, it doesn't work. If you are... It's still hard, isn't it? Because you know what's going to happen? The priest is going to bless it, and then God's going to break it. Every time. And you won't know in the midst of the breaking what it's going to look like later. It's only a matter of trust. You can almost see the disciples. Can you imagine just serving 5,000 people? You've got 12 guys. Imagine what that would be. I'm going to serve 5,000 people. Now, I suspect they divide them into rows and just sit here and pass that down. <laughs> but they have to go out and do this, and it's their stuff. Except that they already decided that it wasn't. They'd given it away. And the amazing thing about it is that God would not ask them to do something that he is not willing to do. Did you ever think about that? That what are we going to do here in a few minutes? We're going to have communion. And when we have communion, I'm going to take the bread, and what, what am I going to do? What's a, I'm going to bless it, then I'm going to break it, and then I'm going to 
And, and what that bread is, is the very body of Christ. It is his body that God gave to us, that he blessed in his baptism, that he broke on a cross, that his life might be given for the world. You see, God doesn't hold back. Now, he didn't say, well, let's see, I'd like to die for you. How about if I just, this, how about if we just have a little torture? That would not be so bad. And so, if you want to see miracles that are far more than you could ever ask for or imagine come about, it's going to require for you to be willing to give up everything. Not to humans, but to God. And then you do with it what God tells you to do. That's one of the problems that Bill Lucas and I have this ongoing conversation about tithing, which is always interesting. And, and actually, I told him he was right. He said, God doesn't want 10%, he wants 100%. And that's true. Um, most churches would be happy with 10. God wants 100. And, and the real key to it is about, for me, about the 10% is that that's a significant point. You give away 10% of your income, it doesn't have to be to the church, it can be anything you think God, if God says, give the first 10% away to this, it doesn't really clear you to do whatever you want to with the other 90. That's what you need to realize. It is a minimum standard of giving. That means it's the bottom line. And the reason for that is it's supposed to be a sign not to God, he already knows he owns it, but to us as to who owns it. And again, I don't want you to mistake this. It's, God didn't say give 10% to the church. You'll never find that in the Bible anywhere. You give away 10% to God, which means you do with it what God tells you to do. And that could be lots of things. It could be the church. I hope the church occasionally does something that God wants us to do. It may be a hospital. It may be you know, some uh, research. It may be a school. You know, there's all sorts of You may be taking care of your brother-in-law. I don't know. I mean, there's all kinds of things that God may want you to do. And it's not so much about percentages, because then I always get that question, was that before or after taxes? Uh, the minute I get that question, I know we're off on the wrong foot. Because it's irrelevant. Because the real point of it is not to say I met the minimum standard. The real point of it is to say I want to give my life to God because I want to know the other 90% belongs to him too and that anything that I have and anything that I do is only because of his blessing upon me. Now, a lot of people think, well, I can't afford that. And what I would tell you is, well, now we're back to where we started, aren't we? Is there enough? Did God make enough? Or did he make a smaller pie and everybody's got to fight over it? And see how big a piece you can get. It's all a matter of what you believe about God. If you believe that God sort of made a scarce world where somebody's going to be on the outs, I feel sorry for you because you don't have much of a God. The God that I know can even raise people from the dead. The God that I know takes what seems like impossibilities and turns them into wonders. The God that I know leads a bunch of slaves out of Egypt, and when they get to the Red Sea, parts it so they can get across. Rains manna from the sky, brings water from a rock, 
know, the God I know changes people forever. Because there isn't a scarcity in the kingdom of God. There's an abundance. And if we experience scarcity, it should tell us that we're not really willing to live in the kingdom. Because what I really want to do is I want to live in the world, but I want to have some of the benefits of the kingdom. Now imagine what that would be like just where you work. I tell you what, I'd really like this job, but this five-day-a-week stuff, I, I don't have time for that. How about if you give me the salary and the benefits, and I'll come in two days a week? What do you think would happen? You probably wouldn't even get the job, would you? <laughs> but somehow or other, we think God ought to go along with that. <sighs> well, he's not dumb. And the reason that he's doing it isn't just to be mean. It's because he knows that if we depend upon ourselves, that we will die. And he doesn't want us to die. He wants us to live. And so we have the same opportunity that Peter and Andrew and the disciples had. Doesn't look like enough, but here, Lord, I will give you what I have. And then we can watch as he blesses it, and we'll like that part. Then we can watch as he breaks it, and we'll go, hmm, this isn't looking too good. And then he'll tell us to give it all away. And we'll go, oh. Now, what do you think that the disciples thought they were having for dinner after they'd done all this? <laughs> Left of which ones? <laughs> they, so why did they do it? Why would anybody do that? Because he told them to? <laughs> I don't think they were that cynical. <laughs> no, they did it because they trusted him. They believed him. When he said, I am the bread of life, they believed it. When, they believed, said, when he said, if anyone drinks of this water that I give you, will never thirst, they believed it. This is an amazing miracle. It's the only miracle that's in all four Gospels in its entirety. You know that? It's the only one. And so they do it. They go out. And now you have to see what happens. So here they've been obedient. They've done exactly what he said. Um, if you notice, it was God who told them, not, some, not somebody else. And they come back, and, and Jesus motions Peter, Peter, come here. Peter comes over and says, yes, Lord. And he says, um, there are 12 baskets over there. You guys go out and gather up the leftovers. You meant, Lord, <laughs> I mean, there's five loaves and two fish with the leftovers. You got I mean, this is like humiliating. Now I'm going to go back. And, could I have that back? Whatever. You, it's almost like I'm going to have to go beg for my own food back, isn't it? And he, he says, Peter, go get the leftover. And so he goes back to the group, and you know, James and John, Andrew, what's going on? He wants us to go get the leftover. I didn't hear you. What'd you say? <laughs> He wants us to gather up what's left. Now, you can almost see them fall on the ground laughing at that point. Yeah, go get what's left. That should take a long time. But no, he's serious. We have to go get what's left. And they take the 12 baskets and they go around. Say, if you got any crumbs or anything, just put them back in here. They pick up everything and these baskets are overflowing. There is far more than when they started. Now, what we tend to want to do is say, well, how did that happen? 
You know, we, we want to get to the, the physics of the issue. Well, I can tell you how it happened. God did it. Because he lives in the kingdom of God. He's able to do the things he needs to do. He, doesn't, he isn't bound by the laws of physics that he created. We are. He can make anything happen. And what I want you to understand is that you don't have to live in a world of scarcity. You can live in a world of abundance where you have more than you could ever ask for or imagine. But first, you're going to have to give it away. And you're going to have to decide you trust him. God has a miracle just like that one in store for every person in here. But he wants you to trust him because he isn't going to fill your wish list. And he wants you to get to know him well enough that when he says, bring what you have to me, that you will do it. And that's where I think a lot of the church has fallen down for so long. We don't want to take that time. We'll get to know the pastor. And there are lots of pastors, by the way, who would like for you to think they're God. But a little secret not even close. No, he is. And if you truly get to where you can hear the voice of God, if you practice that discipline of, of finding out who he is and what he wants and how he works and, and talking to him every day and letting him talk to you, and then if you're willing to try the things that he wants, you'll be amazed at what happens from the mundane to the incredible. Judy and I were talking while we were on vacation. Um, when I was growing up, I always thought that if I could get a 1,200-square-foot house, that I would have made it. I would have arrived. I would be rich beyond my imagining because growing up, we didn't have that. You know what the weather's been like here last couple of weeks? That was the entire summer where I lived, and we didn't have air conditioning in my house. I mean, that was just the way the life was in the Ohio River Valley. So to me, to have a house with carpet in it and air conditioning and, you know, and had actually a little bit of room was just maybe even two bathrooms. That'd be nice, especially when you've got a teenage sister. Then I would have made it. The house I live in now is twice that. I couldn't have asked for it. I never would have asked for it. But I only have it because God chose to give it to me. And if he chose for me, if he says, I need it back, you know what I'm going to say? Okay. And Judy will tell you, one of the things she was terrified about when we decided to leave and, and come over here, she said, what if nobody else comes? I said, well, I'm going to have to talk to the vestry because they told me they were going. <laughs> uh, and she said, but you're not asking people. And I said, well, it's because I don't, I'm not doing it for me. Well, what if there aren't enough people to pay our salaries? I said, well, I guess we'll have to get jobs. And she said, well, we'd never be able to get a job and make it enough to pay for the house and all. And I said, well, no, probably not. And she said, well, what would we do? And I said, well, we'd have to sell it. Where would we live? Well, I'm sure we'd live somewhere. <laughs> I mean... And she goes, I said, I don't think your dad would let us all live on the streets anyway. And she said, but we could never afford to buy something like this. I said, well, we didn't live in something like this when we moved here. 
Because it's not mine, it's God's. Now, in Judy's defense, she always does that first off. Her first things are all the what ifs, then she ends up jumping on board. But she has to go through her what ifs first <laughs> before she can jump on board. I think I drive her crazy with it, but, but it belongs to God. Everything that I have belongs to God. Everything that I am belongs to God. My very life belongs to God. And if he wants it, it's his. And because of that, I've seen incredible things happen in my life that are far more than I could ever ask for or imagine ever happening. And it gets to the point where when I pray to God, I don't ask him for anything. Do you know that? I mean, I never say, God, could you do this or this or this? I just talk to him. Say, what's going on with so-and-so? How's that going? I mean, is there anything I can do to help? See, that's the real conversation that you have with God. What can I do, Lord? What can I bring? And what I found is that in the giving away of that, that he gives me back more than I ever thought I could have. Because God does not want scarcity for you. He wants abundance. There is no shortage in the kingdom of God. There's a great shortage in the world. And so what I want you to do is when you go out into the world this week, when you're dealing with people at work and you're paying your bills and all that, ask yourself, who really owns all of this? Whose am I really? Because the answer to that question and the answer to the question of, am I willing to give it all to a living God? will answer the question about whether you live 